Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Dennis Kozloff. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Last time, if you remember, <clears throat> who remembers what I talked about last time? Neil does, that's good. Derek does, that's good. So it was worth it, even for two of those guys. Yeah, it was about fellowship. I was talking about that if you try to like boil down to a very short summary what the early church and the New Testament has been doing, what it was all about, you can pretty much describe it with two Greek New Testament words. One is kerygma, another one is koinonia, and I'm not here to intimidate you with Greek words. Kerygma is the content of what is being presented. It's what the church teaches, what they preach, what they proclaim, what is happening when somebody opens their mouth. What is the good news that they claim they have? And another one is koinonia, is fellowship, it's participation, it's mutual life. It's reciprocity. It is doing life together. And I pointed out to you that, unfortunately, being a, a society of a free market, society of consumers, we created an atmosphere where churches compete with each other. And in this competition, they actually do what you want them to do. They provide you the best quality sermons and a very little of fellowship that is almost gone from today's American churches. That's what I shared last time. Who remembers my personal definition that I gave to the church last time? Oh, come on. I was so proud of this definition. I... Holy people with dirty feet. Remember? That's you guys. That's you guys. And that, that actually kind of grasps and helps you to understand... What is it that you can expect in the church? We're called to belong, not just to believe. We're called to have fellowship, not just to have a doctrinal faith. And that's what I was talking about. So, who is it that's going to experience dirty feet of the holy people of God? That's a question. Who? Yeah, you. You're going to experience dirty feet of the holy people of God. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? Wash it. You're going to wash. And my question today is like, why? Why bother? Because this is holy people of God. Holy people of God means they are the carriers of the presence of God. So for you to get to experience the reality of God's presence in your life... You get, to, you get to get to know them. You get to get to be in touch with them. And sometimes it takes washing their feet first. That's how it works. So if you don't want to bother, just go home and listen to wonderful sermons online. There are plenty of preachers. Even You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I've said enough last time. If you were not here last time, please go online. Listen to this sermon. Because I believe I captured something that is very timely word for today. So, but today <clears throat> I want to talk about more about this unique fellowship that we're trying to 
cultivate, to catch, to promote, to experience, and to propagate, to, you know, to perpetuate. The reason I want to talk about it theologically today is because this fellowship, this sharing of life, this mutual doing life together is fundamentally different from anything you know in this world. I'll say it one more time. This fellowship that we're talking about, most likely we have not fully experienced it yet. Why? Because all we know in this world is a specific kind of relationship. And what Jesus and the New Testament is speaking about is uniquely different. It's out of this world kind of relationship. It's otherworldly relationship. So I want to talk about three characteristics of this fellowship that you need to keep in mind to understand that it will take an effort on our side to avoid the pitfalls of confusing it with something else. So these are three unique characteristics of this fellowship. I'm going to just give them to you, and then I'll elaborate each one of them a little bit. First one, <clears throat> well, I'll just uh, give you the whole thing. So it's first non-hierarchical. Just listen, it's non-hierarchical. I'll explain that in a few minutes. You all understand what it means. You know what hierarchy means? So this fellowship is never hierarchical. I will develop it, just bear with me. Second one, it's very important. It's always gospel-focused. It's always gospel-focused. And the third one, it's in this spirit. It is in this spirit. So, well, Dennis, what are you talking about? You sound like so ethereal today. Like you're not here without something. You're taking us somewhere up in the air. No, bear with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my best to... To make it practical. So let's first talk about non-hierarchical. In fact, I would even say the hierarchy is historically what kills it. Hey, listen, I, I'm not an anarchist. I'm actually uh, politically and eco economically, I'm, I'm inclined to be conservative like many of you guys. And I don't mind people who are more liberal. I don't care. What I'm saying is, in this world, Neil, did you move here so that I can walk? Okay, good, because Neil noticed this weird thing about me. Uh, that, like, when I preach, I usually preach to that side and I ignore this side. So he, <laughs> he wants me to spread the attention evenly. Thank you, Neil. Good job. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, anyway, coming back. What you guys said? Okay, oh, oh, they needed more over there? I don't know. Well, anyway, don't get me distracted, okay? Okay, so in this world, actually, hierarchy is the most effective way to run anything. You don't want your army not to be hierarchical. You want it to be very hierarchical. There's got to be chain of command. There's got to be clear goal, and there's got to be sub, subordination, and there's got to be like quick response. There's got to be a situation when people don't even think. The order is given, you go and execute it. 
Can I hear an amen to that? That's the most effective and efficient way to run pretty much anything in this world. Because as soon as you gather people together and they decide that they have one common goal, immediately the structure will arise. Immediately the pyramid kind of relationship will arise. Immediately the chain of command will arise because some of them will be better at achieving that goal than others. Some of them will become more competent very quickly. Do you see the value of that? So if you're super liberal and you don't like any kind of hierarchy, hey, get a grasp. You need an army. You need efficient companies. Here comes the problem. Jesus said, let it not be so in the church. Clearly. Actually, I'm going to read you this, this scripture. That's the scripture that I start with. Luke 22, 25. And he said to them, The kings of Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Not so with you. Not so with you. Rather... Let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. Even in the secular world today, they talk about a servant leadership today. They understand the value of it. But I'm, but I'm saying about something that is fundamentally different. There is no hierarchy in the essential fellowship of the church that I'm talking about. Let me give you words about this fellowship. First John 1 John 1.1, it says, That which was from the beginning. Listen to these words. John is trying to express something that he's fully experiencing. He is basing his life on. And he considers it to be the most important thing, yet he has a hard time choosing words to express it adequately. Listen. That, he's not even giving it a name. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is the same. It's with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing this thing so that your joy may be complete. Do you, do you hear like, this is the guy who experiences something for years now. And he's saying, my main thing, that's all, I, that's all I want is what I have received and experienced. What we have received and experienced. True life that came to us in the form of a human being that we touched, we see. We, we actually have been in contact with, somehow this contact with this person began to infuse us with the true life. And we became carriers of this life. And I want, to, I want you to catch 
from me, to contract from me this experience, this that which was from the beginning with the Father and the Son. And now with us, I want it to be with you. And he calls it fellowship. And it's non-hierarchical. Through the first five centuries of the church history, God raised many theologians, church fathers, and they were really digging into this mystery of what is Trinity. What is a God-man, Jesus Christ? How is it that he's God and man at the same time? How in the world? And they were talking about it, and they exposed a lot of heresies, and they formulated and articulated and crystallized the truth about it. And listen, they stressed a very important theological fact. Now you have to be theological with me for a few minutes. They said... There is no subordination within the Trinity in eternity. God, the Son, is God, fully God, equal with the Father. Father is God. Holy Spirit is God, fully God. They're distinct, yet they're one. And their life that was hidden for ages is what this New Testament called as fellowship that is offered to us to participate. Yes, in history there were different functions. And there was subordination when the son came as a man and he said, Father, not my will but yours. But theologians, church father, they, they made a clear distinction. Eternity and earthly ministry of Christ. In fact, if you don't know the history, you will step on the same rakes as we say in Russia. More, over and over again. The history tends to repeat itself. Several years ago in Australia, there was a big theological debate because some sloppy ministers started pointing out to Jesus being subordinate to the Father and said that's why women should be subordinate to men because it's an eternal reflection of the uh, nature of God. And good theologians stood up and said that has never been so. There is a pure... That's why... Without understanding it, you will never understand why is he talking about that in Christ Jesus there is no more woman, no more man, no more Gentile, no more American, no more Vietnamese, no more anything but Christ as all and in all, as a flow of life that proceeds from the Father and flows out to us, in us, through us, to others. Does make sense? It's hard to express in words. But that's kind of a thing that I'm talking about. So it's not hierarchical. In fact, hierarchy kills it through the church history because hierarchy dies last. Usually what happens historically, God begins his move. He raises someone. This someone begins to see some truth that has been lost, the truth of the gospel that has been lost. He gets excited. He gets enthusiastic about it. He begins to preach it. People begin to gather. Life comes. People begin to experience the reality of God. It attracts others. Soon there is a movement. After this original, visionary, passionate, charismatic person dies or loses his enthusiasm or her enthusiasm, you know what happens? They try to maintain it and uh, perpetuate it through structures. And they do it just like the world does. Build a hierarchy. Create a structure. Think through a budget. Do this, do that, and before you know it, there is no life left, but the organization is still there. 
Thank you, Derek. Yeah. So you guys, you know, we are here non-cessationists. Do you know what cessationists and non-cessationists are? Do you know? No? Well, brief explanation. Uh, there are two camps in church today. One camp believes that all these miracles, all the historical things that we read in the book of Acts that are ceased to exist. That's why they called it cessationism. And they actually have theological explanations why it was there, but it was no longer. Hey, just for you to know, if you haven't noticed yet, we are here not cessationists. We believe whatever you read in the New Testament is still possible and happening today. All right? So there are angels doing stuff. There are miracles that happen. I witnessed miracles. God worked miracles through me. I, I was called to a hospital when, when, when the, somebody called me and said, this person that you visited last week, the doctor said, it's just a matter of maybe two hours. She's be gone. Can you come and be with us? I came. I came and I prayed and I prayed. And, and then I felt like calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. And I was calling. I just, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. And all of a sudden, her, her eyes cleared up, and he started removing this oxygen mask. And she got like, what? What's going on? That was crazy. It was crazy. And I, like, I came to bury her, and then I called next day, so is she gone? She said, no, far from it. She's actually getting ready to be released from the hospital. So what's going on? Everybody like, well, so what I'm saying, I'm not boasting here. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, we are not cessationists. We expect and we believe that what we read in the New Testament is happening today. And if it's not happening, we don't know why, but the problem is not with God. The problem is with us. All right? So, but let me tell you something. In early 60s, I believe, in America... People began to see that cessationism is not valid. So they began to really, really dig into scriptures and seek for the reality of the miraculous in their ministry. And they began to experience that. You know what happened? There was a branch of this non-cessationist camp of Christians that really developed a celebrity culture. Like, if, if God begins to move through someone, they begin to claim that it's a special anointing, and they did something amazing to get it, and people begin to look up to them, and they kept giving those wonderful stories about what God does through them, and before you know it, it's an idol. And before you know it, there's no fellowship, it's just like worshiping God, and you're not even sure whether they worship God or this guy on the stage. Do you, you see what I'm saying? You know, you, our church is part of a movement called Vineyard. And the Vineyard was different. The Vineyard was the same thing in the sense that the guy began to ask honest questions like, is cessationism true? And the answer was no, it's not. There is no reason to believe that God deliberately decided to stop that thing. He never stopped. The book of Acts doesn't have a conclusion. You are the next chapter of the book of Acts. That's and then he began to practice and experiment, and he began to see the results. But he realized, you know what? God has never called me to be a celebrity. If God reveals something to you, it's not for you to become a star. It's for you to equip the church to do the same. And he began to dream about this. He called it faceless generation or like nameless generation. That means that anybody can go to Walmart and pray for someone and see a miracle happen right there. Amen. 
So just be aware of hierarchy. We need structures. We need order. We need planning. We need budget. But it's all wineskins. If you don't have wine, that's pointless to have a nice wineskin. So just know that mo the biggest desire of Apostle John and Apostle Paul and mine and Neil and yours should be to continually experience this fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And where do you experience that? Not just in your closet, in your house, in the church. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, if you read it carefully, it's not just for you to feel good about you. Oh, I'm full of joy. I'm full of patience. I'm, no, you're not. You don't know where, whether you are or not. You may feel or think you are, but go to someone who irritates you. Then you'll know. That's how it works. Grab your basin, take your water, go and meet some dirty feet. Wash them. So it's, it's, it's non-hierarchical, and we need to be aware of that. So the next one is, the question is, how in the world can you get to this? Dennis, you're talking about a wonderful thing, but like how in the world can you practically do that? Oh, wait a minute, my computer is rebelling. Crickets? No. It's second one, it's gospel focused. And this is so important. And immediately you think, Dennis, do you want to turn us into this religious, nasty people who don't know how to have a good time and watch a football game together? No. Don't worry. I'm not taking away your football from you, all right? Somebody else did this year. I'm not. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know... We have to develop informal relationship and be, some of us will become friends and some of us will enjoy barbecue together and uh, Neil and I will play disc golf and we'll love it and you know it's, it's a good stuff. Life is, life is replete with the small gifts of goodness that you can enjoy every day. Flowers, gardening, food, talking, jokes, good movie, frisbee golf. Please don't like... Don't take me wrong. Mark preached that you can waste your life and things like that, and it's a waste of time. It is a waste of time if you don't have God reigning in your heart. But if God reigns in your heart, you can enjoy movie. You can enjoy good meal with friends. You can enjoy this golf tour, uh, tournament with Neil and humiliate him good. No, just, just kidding. He actually beat me up last time. So I'm not talking about this. It Actually, we need to be joyful people who can... Enjoy life in all its manifestations. There's this movie, uh, Chariots of Fire, right? Uh, and there's this character and his sister. And his sister is really pious and religious. And she wants him to be a missionary in China. And that's his intention. But he wants to do the running first. And he said, yes, I want to do that. But God also made me fast. Neil, how does it go? God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. So running became a worship act for this guy. You know, I have a friend. He lives here in Springfield. And he has this peculiar 
love and interest in the World War II and military stuff in general. And he loves guns. Never tried to rob his house. <laughs> You'll end up dead, basically, what I'm saying. But he, and he has money. He has good, successful business, and he collects all kinds of items related to military history of the United States, beginning from Indian Wars, ending to the operation in Iraq. He has all kinds of stuff. And when he began to do that, a lot of people in the church began to judge him. Like, what a waste of resources. He could have given it to, like, mission work. He could have done. And he felt so bad about it, and he had this guilt. Like, and I talked to him. I said, dude, like, Please, don't even go there. Yes, you know when it's some, you're doing something wrong. God will tell you. But don't, if, if you can enjoy it before God, if you can enjoy it with God, do it. You know what happened? This guy began to restore vehicles from the World War II. And he began to participate in those big parades and events when veterans come to. And you know what began to happen? The weird thing, but it happens pretty much every time. An old guy who is still alive from the World War II veteran would come, touch that car. He said, can I get in? I said, yeah. He would get in and he would start crying. He said, gosh, like, it's like a time machine. It just like, it smells the same. It feels the same. I'm right there. His heart got so soft and open. And Mike would go like, oh, I gave his name. Uh, uh, can I pray with you? And a lot of these guys received Jesus right there. Who would have known? That's just his heart's desire. He loves military stuff. Loves. So never judge people based on what they do. And I'm kind of digressing, but it's important. So I'm not saying for you to become religious, gospel-based. But the, 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 the core of this fellowship, this flow of life is gospel-based. What is gospel? The problem is that a lot of churches are here in America and very few truly preach the gospel I'll tell you there are all kinds of versions of the story that is given as a gospel but it's not a gospel the most common story is you had a chance with God you blew it up and you thought the game is over but Jesus came and he gave you a second chance now go and sin no more go and don't mess it up this time hey let me tell you if this is the gospel you're doomed. You're going to mess it up again. You're going to mess it up big time again. And that's why like psychiatry patients are known for being very religious people. And driven to grave and deep depression and even to grave with their guilt feelings. Based on religious concepts imposed on them. The gospel is not like, okay, you got all this money, you could have done so many good things, and you blew it all up, and now you have this huge debt, and now Jesus comes and pays your debt with the bank. That's how the gospel is presented. And now you have a, how do you call it, clean slate? You can start over again. That's not the gospel. It's part of the gospel. It's true, yes, your huge debt that was unpayable got to be paid, but it's not the gospel. The gospel begins before sin enter into the world. Try to think of the gospel when you remove the sin and say, let's say sin has never happened. Will there be a gospel? Yes, there will be. Because God is good. God wanted you. He created you for a purpose. He didn't create you for you to fall so that he can pull you out from the dirt. 
He had a better plan for you. Jesus is not a plan B. You hear me? I'm super theological today, but I hope something of it is, is sinking in. Now, thank you, Derek. Derek is such an encouragement to me. Now I have a stereo encouragement. Neil and Derek. That's awesome. One day I'll hear something good from this side. Thank you. Thank you. So, the gospel is not about you. The gospel is about Jesus Christ, who God truly is in the person and work of Jesus. The gospel is a good news, news about what has happened, not what is about to happen. It's not Jesus coming and saying, hey, I did my part, now it's your part. Yes, there is a part for you and me, and it's wonderful, but you're still not the main player there. Jesus is. Jesus has come and was born and died. He fully identified himself with the heart of his father. And he fully identified himself with your miserable condition. He died as, as a lamb of God. And he died as a sinner who deserved to be put to death. He didn't deserve it. We deserve it. He fully identified himself with us. He died as us. Not just instead of us. As us. We don't have, if you still think, if you, you're like, oh, you blew it up this time, but if God gives me a second chance, I can fix it. No, you won't. If, you, if, you, if that's the way you think, you don't see how bad your condition was. <coughs> it was terminal. And that's why he terminated it. He terminated you in himself. The gospel is hard to express in words. Thank you, Derek. So this fellowship is always based on the gospel. Gospel-centered. That means it always pushes us away from the focal point. From the center. And puts Jesus in there. And we forget about ourselves in the middle, in the process of this fellowship. We forget about ourselves. We begin to see Jesus more clearly. And we begin, we begin to see Jesus more clearly. We are being set free from anything that holds us back to be what God wants us to be. Does it make sense? That's the gospel. So run away from any kind of churches where you don't hear the gospel. All right? And the uh, final one it's it's in the spirit it's not by might it's not by effort it's not by hard work it's not by your wonderful agenda it's not by planning it's not by putting efforts together it's not by the spirit of excellence you know i i love the fact that our church is being transformed and uh, wes is such a gift to a church yeah please you know, the worship began. It's so easy to worship now because somebody knows what they're doing. Praise the Lord. But let me tell you something. Even if it would be horrible here, the fellowship of the Spirit would still be happening. It will be hard to see. It will take more faith to exercise. But you know what? You should never become the entertainment business when everything is flawless and spotless. And that's why you're like, you don't have faith anymore to experience God. You just go with the flow. No, to get this flow, you need to have faith in the gospel and expect the spirit to move. So anything you plan, plan time and space when the spirit will flow. 
Whether you're preaching, whether you're worshiping, whether you're fellowshipping, whether you're inviting someone for dinner, if it's brother and sister in Christ, expect the Spirit to move. And build a certain point. Don't fill it all with movies and sports. Leave a little room and invite the Holy Spirit to be part of that. All right? So I just, I pretty much said all I wanted to say, but I really, 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 really want us to understand that it's not about how wonderful we do things here or not wonderful. It's, it's, it's about God's heart's desire that has been accomplished as a plan of God through Jesus Christ. And we are called to experience the reality of that and to extend it to others. And it's like a flow of life through us and in us towards others. And it's called fellowship. And that's what we're striving for. And you can't get it online, sorry. You can get it here if your heart is open. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.